This episode is brought to you by Avengers Endgame. Variety calls it toweringly crafted and moving. The Chicago Sun-Times declares it a beautifully filmed epic with universally stellar performances. The cinematic event of the year is now awards eligible in all categories, including Best Visual Effects, Best Original Screenplay, Best Director, and Best Picture of the Year. Avengers Endgame, for your consideration. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Discourse on the Playlist Podcast Network, the show where we discuss film news, reviews, or anything else in the pop culture zeitgeist that we feel the need to weigh in on. I'm Ryan Oliver, and today with me I have two very great guests. First off, he's a contributor to Slash Film and Polygon. He's also been the weekend editor here at the Playlist doing some great work. Rafael Motomayor, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. Very, very excited. And then my second guest, he's he's a returning guest. You will no doubt know his voice. He is the uh, host of the Fourth Wall podcast over here at The Playlist. He is also the host of Film Speak on YouTube. Griffin Schiller, welcome back to the discourse. Hey, thanks for having me, man. It's uh, It's been a little bit since I've been on last, so I'm excited to uh, talk about some new movies. Very excited to have you on. I, I, I had actually debated whether or not um, you should be allowed to come back after beating me in fantasy football <laughs> and, and making me watch the, <laughs> the two Ghost Rider movies. But I, I think that that wound is healed. So yeah, I think it's good. En- enough time has passed. Yeah, I'm just glad that um, you watched both of them. But not not just the first one, but like the first and second one. And um yeah, you you went through the same hell. Literally went through the same hell <laughs> that um I did. Uh so well yeah. They, that was that was what you forced me to watch. I'm a, that was our bet. I'm a man of my word and uh, I I did it and that's yeah, that is something we have suffered through together. So um So honorable. That, that, yeah. I'm very very proud of you. Yeah, that's a that's a um that's a like that's like a brotherhood right there. Like that's like a blood pact. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but before we get started on the episode proper, a couple of housekeeping items. Uh, this show is a part of the playlist podcast network. So if you enjoy this show, be sure to subscribe to us via your podcatcher of choice, be it anchor FM, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, and you'll get this show as well as our other shows, including the fourth wall that Griffin hosts, uh, be real indie beat, and the other various uh, things that pop up on our feed from time to time. All right, so now with the housekeeping out of the way, let's get into the show proper. Today we have two full reviews for you guys. We're going to be discussing Ford v. Ferrari, the latest film from James Mangold, uh, as well as Honey Boy, the... Um, the, the sort of semi-autobiographical film uh, written by Shia LaBeouf, uh, where Shia LaBeouf stars as his dad. So very excited to get into that. Uh, we'll also be revamping our um, we'll be revamping our recommendation section towards the end uh, as as a new segment to the show called the Grab Bag, where we'll essentially just do a bunch of quick hit uh, news stories or anything that we've been watching lately uh, that we recommend because it has been a long time since we've done an episode hoping to get back on a normal schedule here but uh it's just it's just been a minute with uh with life changing stuff happening so um so let's just get into the show proper and start with ford v ferrari um 
as I mentioned at the top, this is the um, the latest film from James Mangold. It is a biopic about uh, Ford Motor Company's uh, determination to beat Ferrari at the 24-hour Le Mans race in 1966. Uh, it stars Christian Bale as the eccentric driver Ken Miles and Matt Damon as the car designer Carol Shelby and the only American at that time who had actually won uh, Le Mans. Um, now, I don't know, well, a couple things. Uh, you guys both saw this at the Toronto International Film Festival where, um, I was going to say it debuted, but that actually isn't true because I think it debuted at Telluride um, yeah. and, and then went ahead yeah. and played TIFF. Yeah, yeah. So, but you guys saw it there. Um, it's been writing very strong reviews since. Um, it opened this weekend and it's a little early at the time of this recording for the full box office report to come out, but it is uh, it is pegged to be making over $30 million this weekend, which for a mid-budget well the not mid-budget this was an expensive movie but for an adult <laughs> but for an adult yeah. uh melodrama uh adult blockbuster of this type uh in this current changing cinematic landscape um that's really good opening and and really promising especially because movies to an older crowd tend to leg out um but you guys saw it both saw it at tiff um it's been writing a lot of, of good reviews that stayed through um I'll turn to Raphael first. Two things I, I want to ask. Number one, what'd you think about the film overall? And um, number two, we were talking about this a little bit off mic. Um, what was your familiarity with this story going in? Uh, I'll start with the second question. I had no idea whatsoever about what this movie was about. Uh, I had seen the, the trailer, I think, that came out uh, shortly before the, the premiere of the movie, but so I was aware that it was about racing, but I I, I don't really follow racing, so I, I don't really know much about it. I obviously know what Ferrari and what Ford uh, are as companies and uh, who the people who um, hem those companies were, but I wasn't really uh, familiar with it. As far as the movie, I thought it is uh, it, it was a lot of fun. Um, as you mentioned, how... Uh, big of a risk it seemed today. I found myself thinking about a lot about how this would have been like uh, super big blockbuster back in the day. This is the type of movie that's a uh, really much a, a crowd pleaser. And it, even though it's like something like two and a half hours, I think it really flies by, and it really offers a different sort of. Um, racing experience that what most of us are uh, used to today with all the Fast and Furious movies. So it was a, a bit of a nice uh, change. And overall, I yeah, I find myself enjoying it a lot. I don't know if I'm going to be thinking a, a lot about it in like a half a year, but at the moment, I thought it was nice. Well, awesome. And Griffin, I'll pose the same question to you. Both what did you think about the movie and what was your familiarity with this uh, story? Yeah, um... I I really didn't know anything about the story going in either. Um, I mean, yeah, you know, you you know who these like icons are, like Carol Shelby, like uh, Henry Ford II, and like you you know about Ford and and Ferrari as companies. But um, I yeah I, I didn't know anything about this, and so everything that happens in the film was news to me. 
Um, and are are we talking spoilers here? Or are we gonna wait for that? Um, I think it's okay. Um, and and that's kind of what I was kind of reading the room here with you guys because yeah. I similarly I was not super familiar with this story going forward. Yeah, um, but yeah. It, but at the same time, it is a biopic, and so. Um, traditionally when we do biopics on the show, we don't really do a separate spoiler section because it, it is sort of like spoilers for real life. Um, yeah, so yeah. I, I think we can get into some spoilers, maybe some details we can leave out, but, um, I, I don't think we're going to do a separate spoiler section. No. Right. No, for sure. Well, I was just going to talk about the, the, the ending briefly because I thought, I thought that that was one of the more, um, I I've seen people criticize it for being abrupt and very, uh, you know out of place but at the same time it's real life and i feel like it was kind of important to ken's arc um and i i thought it really just hammered down his impact as a um as, in terms of just like, just like everything he believed in and his contributions to the the, the um you know, to to the uh, the endeavor of making the like the Ford GT and stuff like that. But anyways, I I thought it was a really fascinating story. Um, but I think the film as a whole, I um, I believe I've only seen it like once or twice now. But I haven't really been I, I haven't really had a yearning to go back to it except like every time I see the damn trailer, which is that that the trailer where they use Greta Van Fleet is just like it gets you in in the zone it's like so hype and i'm like you know this trailer makes me want to go back and rewatch the movie and maybe give it another shot because i was kind of lukewarm on it uh when i first saw it cuz it, it it reminded me a lot of those like um those uh th- those live action disney sports movies not that those are bad by any means but i i i feel like it's like this film is being pitched as a prestige picture and I don't really think it quite hits the mark of being a prestige picture. It's pretty safe, I would say. Um, and I, I think it's confidently directed, especially the racing sequences, which are excellent, uh, very exhilarating, very fun, especially when they're doing, when they're testing the GT and then they do the, the 24 hour of Le Mans. I think those are, all excellent and and obviously the the camaraderie between Christian Bale and Matt Damon is like the heart of the movie and if that doesn't work then the movie doesn't work and I thought that it's um it ends up being uh, uh, very very sweet and and fun and the two of them have a great rapport I I do think uh and and maybe you, you know maybe Ken Miles was this eccentric in real life but I I do think Christian Bale ever ever so often had had a um tendency to overdo it just a little bit with the character but like i still really enjoyed the performance matt damon was was fine um i'm trying to think what else but it's you you know i i think it was basically what we all expected it to be um and i'm really not surprised that people are loving this uh because it just had you know it it does deliver on the promise of the trailers, which I do think is very rare, and people like to see two big name actors uh, having a fun time in a movie about racing, which people love. Um, I, you know, is this one of the best like racing movies of all time? No, but I, I do think it's it's enjoyable enough. I, I think my only issue with it is like when you compare it to something like Rush, for instance, which is mm-hmm. different. But like it's kind of a similar concept where it's like two of these like 
battling heads uh, uh, coming together. Uh, I, I feel like Rush does it a lot better and it's a lot uh, more compelling uh, and, and it gets a little deeper into the weeds. Um, so I don't know. This is just my uh, quick thoughts. I'm sure we'll go off on, on something here, but it was uh, it was enjoyable for what it was. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought up Rush because uh, I I also am a big fan of that movie and um, it's yeah, one of my yeah. one of my favorite Ron Howard movies for sure. It, um, it it very well may be my favorite Ron Howard movie. <laughs> I understand. I understand. I think yeah. it's quite good. And um, yeah, I think I I pretty much echo the sentiments uh, all around here in that um, I I really enjoyed the movie and the movie I thought of the most I think in regards to it. Um, not that it's like an apples apples to apples comparison, but like I thought of Hell or High Water a lot from the standpoint of mm. not not just like a neo western like repackaged repurposed, but also a movie that it's like, huh? I think every aspect is solid and everything is like clicking into place in a workmanlike yeah. way. Um, and there's nothing particularly wrong about the movie, but there's nothing that has me like over the moon enthusiastic about it either. I'm just like, this is a solid right. made piece of entertainment i do think the like uh, i love the so sort of um ode to um to to workers in the face of like corporate bureaucracy i i think yes, that like yeah i, yeah, I like think that, that yeah that's like one of the strongest aspects of the movie where like the the people who are the, on the ground floor getting the job done are are tasked with uh well a something that like on the surface is very impossible but b they that the the suits who are who are writing the checks just have no fundamental understanding of how to do the thing they're just like do the thing and i feel like that's just scarily accurate mm -hmm. um and mm -hmm. th that resonated in a, in a way that uh really worked for me i think the one thing that i felt was not odd but i feel like it was kind of at odds is um I don't know if you guys noticed um, when the credits happened at the beginning that um, Michael Mann is an executive producer on this movie. Oh, um, shoot. I didn't even realize oh. that. <laughs> he is. And the reason is because he was going to be doing an Enzo Ferrari biopic. And yes. weirdly uh, enough, uh, he wanted to cast Christian Bale. Um, and Christian Bale had said no because of uh, it would it would require another – physical transformation that he just didn't didn't want to do anymore um yeah and, and like a lot of man projects it just sadly fell through um and then out of the ashes of that came this project and i do feel that there's a lot of man isms in this movie like the way to kind of just let scenes play out the mm -hmm. sort of like uh you know commentary on masculinity um just a mm -hmm. lot of like michael man isms i think are still here and i think mangold is playing with that a little bit i think he's doing it very well but i think where it gets thorny for me is i think that style clashed with a, a, a pretty routine biopic structure um makes it a little odd at times and can make the movie feel a little like tensionless even though i think there's a lot of introspective stuff going on um it's just a weird like push and pull where like surface level story mechanics it's it is like they're like it's tense during the racing scenes but the 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 sort of outcome of real life makes it a little bit tensionless but then there's a lot of introspective stuff like you guys mentioned the race sequences which are incredible but one of my favorite race sequences in the movie is the one that we don't see is the first one where Ken Miles uh, is told. Oh, yeah. He ha has uh -huh. to be told by Carol Shelby 
um, because of what the suits say that, you know, Ken Miles is, he's a hothead, he's too eccentric, he's too whatever, and they did not want him to race the car. And he's listening to Le Mans on the radio, and he's listening to all the things that are happening to the car and calling them out by based on what he can hear and based on what he knew because he put the car together. And I, I, I've never seen, like, something like that. Like, th- those are the type of scenes that I loved in this movie of just kind of letting it play out. Um, but then, yeah, they do butt heads with the sort of mechanics of a, a traditional biopic. Mm-hmm. That's that's really interesting that you bring up the, the Ferrari biopic thing because this film is so in the opposite direction. In fact, that was something I think I would have liked a little bit more of with a film called with a film that's called Ford V Ferrari. I would have liked a little bit more Ferrari's perspective. <laughs> now I understand that's that's not necessarily the the story being told nor what does Ferrari necessarily probably give a shit about Ford at this point as we see through like some of the interactions, but um th- this movie has like um I think I think what I like about it and why I think uh, uh, why I think James Mangold was like the perfect person for this project is because it's like dealing with like real life Americana like like icons and stuff like that. And it it kind of he brings his Western sensibilities to this project, like these rogue guys going off to do something. And they they kind of feel like larger than life American legends. And like if you go back and you look at just Mangold's work in general, that is like so who he is as a filmmaker. And while it's not always like overtly Western, like with something like 310 to Yuma or like even Logan, um, you know, go to something like Walk the Line. Johnny Cash is like an American icon, and he he's another figure who kind of like we we associate him with being a cowboy or or, or like some or, or like a you know some sort of like Western type of person. And so, um, I thought that Mangold brought that flavor to this film, where it, it kind of felt like too um, yeah, like, like too larger than life. Just I guess like you know American folk icons, even though they're they're real people. So I, that was, that was the one thing I did like about the film. I definitely think a lot about the Western aspect of the movie, because it even extends to something like the, the score, which yeah. I thought was uh, one of the best things of the movie, uh, because it does, uh, I think it was uh, Marco Beltrami who did it, uh, which sort of mixes these um, sort of Western sounds, uh, kind of like a, a little bit of Sergio Leone in there, but also suddenly goes into like uh, like really uh, fast-paced rock music uh, doing the, the, the racing scenes. So I do get that feeling that they weren't necessarily trying to make a proper Western, but just give it that... Um, that feeling of uh, larger-than-life characters in this sort of uh, really violent and, and, and fast-paced environment. So that, that that was also something that was really fascinating to me. Yeah, same, because, like, it, it, you know, a, a crux of so many Westerns are, are you know, not just, like, uh, the examining violent lifestyles, but also just, like, exploring uncharted territory because it was the wild west and sort of anything goes and i feel like that really fits the story because uh both both carol shelby and ken miles are essentially entering uncharted territory where the you know an american sports car has never been as fine-tuned as what they're trying to do so they're kind of in a in an uncharted land doing what they need to do uh to 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 
get by. And so I, I think that I think that flavor works. And I'm glad I'm glad, Raphael, that you brought up the score because I've had um the like the more rock aspects get stuck in my head days since I've seen the movie. <laughs> like I found myself around the house being like chicka boom, chicka boom, doo. And I'm like, wait, what is this from? Why is this stuck in my head? And I'm like, oh yeah, that's the score from Ford v Ferrari. Um, yeah, it's it's it it it's honestly, and it's it's really easy to see. Other than the movie is very well made in just about every single facet. Um, why people are going for it, and why it's already been a success, and why it's probably going to have long legs, and and honestly, probably going to get some award love too, because um, it, it just is so energetic and entertaining and and i think it, it leaves people people will leave the movie on a high like if my audience was any indication um watching the movie like people people are going to go for it and i believe uh i'll have to double check this but i think it received an a plus cinema score yeah yeah, yeah it was an oh. a plus cinema score yeah wow. that's which is, insane which yeah. is rare yeah it's it's uh it's like i said it's gonna have some life ahead of it yet for sure um Cool. Uh, um, I, I that's about all I have immediately to say. Um, but I wanted to pass it back to you guys if you had any other thoughts or any other sort of things we could uh, go off on with this movie. I do want to uh, bring you back to something uh, you guys mentioned earlier about the the sort of the uh, working man versus corporate overlord uh, thing of the movie because I find it uh, so interesting that both. Like just this year alone, we got Dumbo, which wasn't a great movie, but had that that same sort of theme about corporations. And then uh, 4B Ferrari, both of them being released by Disney, and both of them about how uh, when corporations and suits get involved, then all creative decisions get modeled, and then the result is never as good. And I found it weird that movie being released right after uh, Disney acquired Fox, and then they shut down quite a lot of their production to just do more uh, blockbusters that are by the books. For sure, and I'm hoping yeah. to, yeah. And I think that's that's fascinating. I'm glad you brought that up because I did think a lot about the the Dumbo movie. Really, the only time I've thought about the Dumbo movie since it came out back in March. <laughs> um, but but it is fascinating. But you know, like you said, this is a Fox release being put out by Disney, and I, and I'm really hoping because because that's been on the tip of our tongues this year, right? I mean, we should definitely like talk about it. This show is called the discourse after all. And, and that's been a large part of our conversation is that merger and sort of what it's meant for the future of movies. And I know a lot has been said about like, like, yeah, like you said, canceled productions, uh, the, the Fox productions released under them this year have underperformed or outright bombed stuff like, uh, dark Phoenix or Stuber. Um, but this, but like again, that that's you know, look at the quality of those movies too, and and see what yeah. happened. Whereas Ford v Ferrari is a, again a perfectly entertaining adult blockbuster. Um, it's doing well. It's going to continue to do well, and I'm hoping it's movies like this, or or even like the Fox Searchlight division, which they've said they're pretty much not going to touch because like Ready or Not did very well. Jojo Rabbit is currently doing very well financially. Um, so th I think that inspires a lot of confidence at least that, and I'm hoping this movie, which would again, be fascinating given the subject matter about workers versus corporate, yes. that if the, the working class movie ends up like 
being a huge hit and being the one just like Carol Shelby and Ken Miles to prove that like, hey, there's a place for these movies. Um, so I'm really hope like like you know even though we're we're all we're all in in pretty much the same page of like enjoying the movie, not thinking it's like a masterpiece by any means, but thinking it's a very solid entertaining movie. Um, I'm rooting for this movie <laughs> to do well. Sure, yeah. And, I, yeah, and I'm glad it is for sure. Yeah, it's it's nice to see a film like this uh, do so well. Um, and like I mean I I think I think like many of us knew that it was going to be successful um but like i didn't i didn't think it was going to resonate this much with people so like that's i don't know i guess it really speaks to like you know some catchy trailers great marketing uh concept that people are digging and just like something that looks like it's a lot of fun so um yeah i don't know i i am i'm i'm loving that uh that it's doing as well as it is i i am curious for you guys i'm going to get your guys uh, take on this um what do you what do you think this film's Oscar uh, chances are? Because I know that was like something before it it screened at festivals. Everyone was like, "Oh, this is going to be a heavyweight this season." And I feel like it's kind of um, died down a little bit in terms of just like uh, you know the chances it has. But now, like now that it's like really doing well on the, at the box office, and now that it's like getting in front of more and more people, it's got an A plus cinema score. Uh, do you think that bodes well for its like Oscar chances? I mean, I, I do think it, it um, it's going to depend a lot on how uh, big uh, Fox and then obviously Disney uh, goes in terms of uh, a campaign for it. But I do believe that at least uh, on a technical level that, I mean, this should at least get some recognition. Um, as we mentioned, the, the, the score and mm-hmm. the cinematography, and then they are excellent. And even some of the, the the visual effects, which are not, it's not, there's not a ton of it, but it does the job. We always complain about bad CGI movies, but we don't really talk about when it actually works. And this is a movie that yeah. shows you can do uh, CGI or visual effects to as a tool to help the story along instead of just eye candy. So I do believe there's some um, potential there, but I don't know for like the big categories, uh, how it's going to fare up against uh, some of the more heavy hitters later on this year. Yeah. Yeah, I think technical is pretty much like, you know, like Raphael said, I, th- I think it, it's definitely in the mix for a lot of that. And sound especially, I think, is pretty much like yeah. hook, line, and sinker, or at least guaranteed nomination uh, for both sound design and sound mixing. Um, I think, I mean, I'm not a big awards prognosticator, so I'm, I'm kind of outside looking in on this one. But I would, I would say it will probably, because it can get anywhere from 5 to 10 picture noms right and so it could it could be mm-hmm. it's usually consistently nine that seems to be the number that it lands on um yeah i think it's gonna get one of those nine spots because, because of its like crowd pleasingness it's just it's gonna be one of those movies that's gonna get by on the sheer uh people enjoying the hell out of it um how well it does is really gonna depend i think on how much sag goes for the performances and and how well bale and damon do um which, like, you know, I wouldn't count Bale out necessarily because he's 
very, very beloved by the Academy's acting arm branch. Um, Mm -hmm. Even, even in performances where it's like, you know, he's for my money, he's never given anything bad, but there's been performances where I went, huh, someone else could have gotten that spot. Um, (laughs) And, 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 uh, and he, he gets in. So um, I definitely wouldn't discount Christian Bale, um, but it is a really crowded field. And it also is like, um, I, I guess to use a buzzworthy phrase, even though I don't like it particularly, um, this is like one of three big, like quote unquote, okay boomer movies that are up for, <laughs> that are in the Oscar mix. You know, uh, like, yeah. because that's, like that's Once fair, Upon yeah. a Time in Hollywood is a massive hitter. I, I honestly think that's the front runner. It, it, like, if we gauged it right now, that movie is the front runner. Um, I think the Irishman, which we may talk about a little bit later in the show, would also. I think that movie would be the front runner if it wasn't a Netflix movie. That's my hot take on that. But I think because of because of Academy apprehension towards Netflix, like I, I think that that mutes it a little bit. But I think that you know that that iconic reunite reuniting with like Scorsese and De Niro would be like catnip, and I think it's going to get it crap load of noms but who knows how many wins um but then then you have ford v ferrari in that mix and so i don't think it's quite as heavy a hitter as the two aforementioned films but i do think it's going to get one of those best picture spots and then a bunch of technical nominations and i really hope special effects because like i i love Raphael's point that like you know we we never like appreciating subtle special effects like the way this movie is where it's like it's practical there is cg but it's like you know, it's it's done seamlessly and it's done in a way to recreate it. It you know, similarly to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where it's just like it's it's subtle uh, and it's in service of storytelling as opposed to just like hitting you over the head with it. So that would be nice if that got in the mix. But yeah, I I'm gonna say technical, a lot of technical nominations, best picture nomination, writing, acting, directing is probably out of the question unless Bale sneaks in. Yeah, I I just I, I I can't see Christian Bale sneaking in, especially since him and Damon are going for are both going for lead actor. They're just gonna cancel each other out, and I don't think their performances are are even that that strong to to be considered. To be honest, as much as you know, the film is enjoyable and and as 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 fun as they are to watch together, there are far better performances. So. I, I want to, one performance I do want to point out that we haven't discussed, which might be my favorite in the movie, and I think honestly might even be the best shot for a performance. Now that I think about it, is Tracy Letts' performance as Henry <laughs> yeah. Fourth II. Oh, yeah. yeah, he's oh, great. Yeah. He's so so good in this movie, uh, and and that's my you know I mentioned the, the the racing scene we don't see. And my other favorite scene, and it's in the trailer, so it's not a spoiler, is where Carol Shelby takes him for a joy ride in the car, and it, it's and he just starts. <laughs> bawling and it's like it's fascinating because like it's like a both a comic punchline but also like an endearing moment too where it's just like in a humanizing moment where he's just like i had no idea like i had no idea a how fast this car goes b how much goes into it to make it as fast as that and it's just a, a yeah it's just a really humanizing moment for a character that's been um you know fun and scenery chewing up until that point but it, it's where it turns into a, a good very very good performance from there so um I, I mean the supporting field is crowded everything's crowded anymore um so i don't know i'm not going to pretend to know but i think maybe even that is their best uh acting chance is is uh let's a supporting performance mm, yeah i wouldn't mind seeing that 
Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing that either, because I, 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 anytime Tracy Letts pops up in a movie, it's like a warm blanket. I'm just like, oh, this is so nice. I'm glad <laughs> you're here. <laughs> um, well, cool. Do Any other thoughts on Ford v. Ferrari before we uh, move on to our next film? No, no. I think it's covered just about everything. Yeah, just uh, summing up, I do think that um, one of the reasons I think these movies uh, resonating so much with people is because it kind of uh, feels like uh, um, like the kind of movie that they like used to get uh, awards recognition just because of how popular it is. Uh, like back in the day, they just like made a big time movie that just happened to start resonating with people, and they made a lot of money. What it, what makes this feel a bit different today just the fact that it is it, it it feels weird to have a sort of blockbuster type of movie made for award season and that's when i when i think the 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 mixing of, of opinions comes in because we as we all say we all liked it as a sort of as a popcorn movie but when it comes to a prestige drama this isn't it's not it. So that's why I, I, I do think that um, it's going to, as you say, it's going to get legs. It's going to keep doing well. And when it comes to awards, then it's just going to be whether or not people take that popularity as uh, more worth than whatever prestige uh, drama comes in afterwards. For sure, which like the landscape is changing so much, so things are different even than it you know was ten years ago. So who knows if that's the case? Um, but you know, but but even like ten years ago, you had something like The Blind Side, which came out of nowhere yeah. and like yeah. leg, legged <laughs> out, made a bunch of money, and got a Best Picture nomination and a win for Sandra Bullock. And like you know, I'm sorry, that movie's terrible and it's just like you know that's yeah. not a prestige drama to me and and it you know it got by on sheer popularity throughout the the um the award season and and this is a much you know we could say it's not a prestige drama or whatnot but but it's a better better much better movie than that one and so uh i think like you know again things change but if that movie could squeeze in i i guarantee that this this will be that movie like I said, I think this will be that movie that gets a Best Picture non without a lot of above the line nominations elsewhere. Um, yeah, and that's I, yeah. that's that's sort of my my predict my prediction for it. Um, yeah. Well, cool. Let's um, let's move on to a a, a vastly different um, ba- vastly <laughs> different movie. Uh, I know it's kind of a weird pairing on this episode, but. Um, but they are the things that are coming out, and I think that it's worth discussing. And uh, and this one's been discussed sort of on the fringes for quite some time. Um, and the film I'm referring to, of course, is, is Honey Boy, which I mentioned at the top. Uh, this film is directed by Alma Harrell and written by Shia LaBeouf. It is a um, sort of semi-autobiographical take um, on Shia LaBeouf's life, um, specifically at two points in his life. Um, the one is a child performer uh, who the surrogate for him is played by, uh, Noah Jupe, who's quite excellent. Uh, the older version played by Lucas Hedges and then Shia LaBeouf plays a fictionalized version of his father. Um, and this movie played at, it's, it started at Sundance, which, uh, Raphael, you saw all the way back in January at, in yes. Park City, correct? <laughs> um, yes. and, and, uh, has 
you know, people, like I said, people have been discussing it on the fringes ever since. Has this movie stuck with you since then, uh, the way people are, are talking about it? It definitely has. Um, I do remember, obviously, the first thing people started saying about this is uh, this is Shia LaBeouf, uh one chance, or at least biggest chance at the Oscar yet. And from what I have seen uh, in the rest of the year, I, I haven't stopped thinking about how big of a chance he has. This is definitely one of the better performances of the year because of how bizarre it is just thinking about Shia LaBeouf playing his own a version of his father but also because of how raw and personal it feels and the whole movie uh, it feels like the total opposite of uh, 4B Ferrari because this is definitely not a, a, a crowd pleaser but it is uh, pretty much uh, performance based and the performances here are quite excellent across the board and it really is just a uh, a really cathartic movie and a really personal look uh, into one of the stranger actors that we have uh, working today. Excellent, excellent, and and uh, no, I I agree with a lot of that, and I definitely will, we will get into that um, moving forward. Um, and then I, I'll move to you, Griffin. You saw it, I believe you saw it at Toronto, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's where I saw it. So this movie has been making the rounds. Um, you know, it's definitely being being touted for for award season. Um, yeah. So, but what what did you feel about the film overall? I know you've seen it a little bit um, sooner, but like, has this movie stuck with you in a, in an impactful way? Yeah, I mean, it definitely has. I I think it's um, I it it is like right on the outskirts of my top ten right now, uh, and that's just because I really uh enjoy the performances i think the script is excellent um i think i mean you know everyone's going to be talking about shia labeouf's performance rightfully so it's very transformative i mean even someone as recognizable as him playing uh a person that we all don't necessarily know but that labeouf clearly knows inside and out i i I think is uh, you're right. It's very cathartic, but it's also uh, powerful. And I think my favorite part was that he didn't straight up demonize him. He sh- mm-hmm. he showed a very well-rounded. Um, he he showed the well-rounded impact that uh, his father had on his life, both the the good and the bad. I think one of my favorite lines in the film is like a when he it's i think it's like one of the final lines in the movie where he's talking about like a seed has to like viciously destroy itself before it becomes like a flower or like some some sort of like plant analogy like that and i i just found that to be so apt when talking about shia labeouf and his career um not not that his early stuff wasn't good or anything but it's just like just you know the 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 hurdles he's had to go through as a person and the lessons he's had to learn to kind of like be where he is now and i'm I'm just happy that um he's at he's at a point where he can do projects like this and he can look back at like a dark time in his own life and and you know uh reflect upon it but uh the, the movie as a whole i found to be very um you know it's difficult to watch at times but like it's also very moving and emotional and like this this relationship between uh him and his father i think it's an interesting commentary on kind of like um the 
the not so uh, intuitive, I guess, like uh, uh, things that like your parents passed down to you. So like in the case of Shia LaBeouf, he kind of picked up his dad's like uh, addiction habits and then, you know, seeing him go through through rehab. You, you know who I, I don't think is getting enough credit for this movie is is Lucas Hedges. Like, within the first five minutes, he is completely, like, 100% utterly Shia LaBeouf without doing an imitation. But, like, the way he's screaming, the way he's, like, uh. going around on set, the, like, some of the mannerisms and, and, like, his outbursts. And it's just, like, he I, – I almost would have liked to have seen a little bit more of him because I, I, I found, like, his – portrayal uh just just fascinating but then obviously you know noah jupe is also amazing uh being at you know such a young age and doing some of the stuff that he he is in this film and and i think he he brings like a nice innocence to the role uh you really you really do sympathize with him but i I, and then the the other person that i i think is now starting to get enough is is now starting to get more and more credit uh, is director Alma Haral, who I, I thought did an exceptional job with this film. She really she she has a documentary background, and I think she takes those document documentarian instincts um, and applies it to this film to to make the experience a little bit more intimate. And and it, it also results in the film feeling like uh, you know a series of or maybe not like a series, but like like just memories kind of extracted from. Uh, LaBeouf's head and uh, I love her use of just like color uh, it's it's very somber and naturalistic and and not abrasive and in your face it's just it's just a very well made film with great performances um, uh, a, a very well written script and and yeah I, I I I think you know Shia has I don't necessarily have him in a slot for best supporting actor, but I do think he stands a chance of maybe breaking in, uh, depending on how, you know, how much Amazon decides to p- to push this film and, and whatnot. And I'd be very happy if he did, because I think it is a worthy performance. It, yeah, absolutely. It is a worthy performance for sure. And, and no, I, I agree with, with both takes a lot here and, and um, yeah, just real quick. Yeah. Arma, Alma Harrell, like, um, you know, to take a story that is very clearly this personal and this important to LaBeouf, um, and, and to make it, you know, seem almost seem like it's their own in terms of just how well directed it is, what she yeah. does. And the, the DP of this film is, is Natasha Breyer, who is the DP on the Rover and Neon Demon, um, and it shows here because it's like there's a lot of just visual stylistic flourishes, mm-hmm. but aren't like super crazy. Like it's got a, I don't, I don't think magical realism is the right word, but it's got. Something... But that is like a, it, it, you're on to something there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's got an air of it for sure. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, I really, really, really went for this movie, and um, and, and really the same. It's kind of on the cusp of my top ten. Um, uh, look, looking at a glance. And, um, what I, what kind of blew me away is, um, I was very excited for it, but on the surface, you hear that description that, that I started this segment with and you go like, that seems like the most like vanity project, pretentious, like masturbatory thing that has ever been put to film. And it's not, not even remotely like it, it is, it's very raw. It's, it's very tender. It, 
it feels like LaBeouf's acting in a nutshell, where it's like there's so much tenderness, but of volatility, like brimming underneath it. And um, yeah, and by the end of the day, it's essentially like, uh, I like what you said, Griffin, of like, he doesn't completely demonize his father, like he, he yeah. shows the, 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 you know, the sort of ghost, uh, sometimes quite literally, uh, that is like hanging over him. And by the end of the day, it's about like a toxic relationship between father and son. And I think that's mm-hmm. even like more heartbreaking than, than seeing movies about like a toxic, uh, you know, romantic relationship because um because they both recognize that they need one another for various different reasons but also it's like it's both bad it's bad to both parties it's bad to the self-esteem it's bad to their um just lifestyle um but but neither can really like do it without the other and so it's it's a it's a pretty like fine line and a very heartbreaking one at that but i i think the movie really really pulls it off and another thing too is like uh this movie is like 94 minutes long it's pretty short um and it it's it feels exactly as long as it needs to be there's not like a wasted moment in the movie um i think he gets the most out out of uh out of everything and and um yeah i i i really went for this one yeah, I, I think the other thing, um, not even in relation to that, but kind of just like, you know, just listening to Shia LaBeouf talk about the project. Did you did you guys watch the uh, the actors on actors with with LaBeouf and, and Kristen Stewart? Uh, I listened to a bit of it. I haven't I, got it, a chance to watch it yet. I want to watch all of those. Um, yeah, I did. Yeah. I did. I watched his interview on Hot Ones recently. Oh my gosh, <laughs> thought that it's amazing. I don't know, just like listening to him talk about stuff, and, and and like I mean, he's just such a he's a he's a very perceptive individual. Um, and like I I know he's someone who who kind of is down on himself for for. Uh, or not necessarily down on himself, but he but he talks about you know he didn't necessarily have the the education that that other people uh, had, um, but he's he's such he's a very intelligent guy, and I I, I I don't know there's something just about him like talking with Kristen Stewart and the two of them and and kind of their their upbringing coming up as like ch- I guess child stars and stuff like that their shared experience and, and how it's kind of shaped them I don't, I don't know it was just like very very interesting and 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 to tie it back to the film uh i i think what this movie does is it offers like a a very real look at like kind of like the pressures that these um child stars kind of go through when when they're you know coming i guess when they're when they're building their popularity and they're becoming professional actors and whatnot um i mean like like labeouf is like literally doing everything uh, and he's balancing so many projects and he's got his dad like pressuring him. And, and so like you can you can see how over time all of this stuff just keeps building and building to the point where he inevitably like cracks. So, uh, yeah, I, I think what it, re- it really did was it, it kind of it showed um, it, it kind of just like showed like what like why like what why LaBeouf kind of, I guess, went through the the um, the rough patch that he did. Yeah, and I uh, that's that's another aspect I found the movie to what like to be fascinating about the movie is like um I feel like even though, you know, despite how specific and personal it is 
to him uh and his upbringing but like you know you mentioned this the the one-on-one with him and Kristen Stewart both of them mm-hmm. come from that background of child actors and and this movie really gives a glimpse into that lifestyle and like while it's not a one-size-fits-all thing because this is a very a, clearly a specific oh, experience yeah very yeah. specific yeah but <laughs> but at the same time it's like you you do hear a lot of stories about like you know, actor who are child actors who have that struggle, um, you know, early on, uh, like, you know, in their early twenties and, you know, some get out of it and some don't, but, um, you know, but this seems to, but, but like that aspect of the movie in, in terms of like what that must be like, um, I've never really seen that tackled in a movie before. And I feel like there is a little, there's a like sort of specific universe, universality to that. Um, again, it's a very like small subsection of people, but I do think that there's a, a little bit of kinship and, and, um, yeah, I'm dying to, to watch that variety, um, interview as I just, speaking of hot ones, I just watched the Kristen Stewart one as well. And that was like the <laughs> next, and that was like the next thing my, my YouTube recommended for me. Uh, and I'm like, yes, I know, I know I need to watch it. I just haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. It's <laughs> excellent. So, so fascinating. I do want to, uh, uh, bring it back to, um, what you guys said about the director, um, Alma Herrera, because I do think one of um, the things I like best about the movie is how she brings her own background to it, not only uh, in terms of her uh, documentary filmmaking uh, and, and, and how the, she makes the film look uh, as personal as the script is, because of uh, that, they use a lot of uh, handheld uh, camera movements and um, all of that. But also, she uh, has spoken about how she uh, really identified with the script because of her own uh, family history and, and that sort of toxic relationship. And I said, there's something about the movie that feels very uh, universal, even though it's as uh, specifically personal as a movie like this can get and especially curious uh, what you guys said at the beginning about how this could have gone wrong really easily especially knowing that uh, I think uh, yesterday or, or, or the day before they announced that um, possible Nicolas Cage movie where he plays himself in like the most bonkers uh, stupid sounding movie uh, where he's like involved in a president kidnapping or something as a version of himself and that's what this movie could have been so easily especially knowing once uh, the announcement came right before the Sunday's premiere of yeah this is just Child Above doing another Child Above weird performance and it turned out to be such a, a passionate and emotional uh, story yeah, and I think that's like I, I I saw that article about the Nick Cage movie, and and God, as much as I love Mr. Cage, I just like that sounds like the most, you know, like 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 we mentioned the most like up its own ass sort of project, and and like silly, and granted, like it may fit his acting style, but uh, it, it, anyway, I I think that like I I think that's one of the strengths of this movie is like you you mentioned you just mentioned that. Um, this felt like on the surface to people was just like another weird performance artist thing that LaBeouf was doing. Um, and I think that was sort of the hook or that was the thing that sort of like, um, 
either that, that brought down people's guards. They're like, oh, okay, let's check this thing out. And then it comes out and it's like, yeah, really, really emotional and, and really heartfelt. Um, and I, I, I think it, it disarmed a lot of people. I think they weren't expecting, they were expecting something to be a little bit more, uh, sh- stunt casting, a little bit more showy. Um, but it, but it comes across as deeply personal and, and it just, you know, goes to show with the right, you know, filmmaking tools at your hand that you, you can pull it off. And I, I haven't done a lot of research into this, so, um, forgive me, but I do appreciate that he, you know, didn't, I appreciate that he didn't direct this or didn't feel the need to direct it, whether or not, oh, yeah. he, you know, whether or mm-hmm. not he felt either a, that would be too personal or it'd be too much to take on. Or he's just like, ah, directing's not really my thing. Somebody else who is a director should take this and run with it. Whatever the case may be, um, I'm glad he didn't. And I think that also kind of goes a little to the more unpretentiousness of this movie is like, you know, a lot of these, a lot of vanity projects like that, you would see the the subject be the director of the movie and, uh, and he isn't. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Um, yeah, but I, I, yeah, I, like I said, I, I really, I really went for it. I think the performances, um, I guess last thing I would say, uh, and I'll, I'll open the floor to you guys, uh, but I know Griffin, you'd mentioned Lucas Hedges, um, not getting as much credit as the other two. And I mean, all three of them are great. Um, but I, I would agree. I, I think he isn't quite getting as much love because his part is the smaller of the three, um, but that doesn't mean it's any less impactful. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. like you said, he's he's harnessing Shia's energy without like doing a full blown impersonation of him. And I think yeah. that's um, that's no small feat. And um, you know, and also whether or not like you know that is um, you know sort of like I mean I guess Hedges. I don't know if he started as a child actor, but he started young. So you know whether or not he felt like a kinship with this screenplay or felt felt like a deeply personal connection to it. I don't know, but um, but either way, he he gets it. He gets what's on the page, and he sells it very well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, do we have? Do you guys have any other thoughts on Honey Boy before we uh, do do a little bit of grab bag session? No, I'm. I yeah, I think we covered just about it. Yeah, I don't think I I have anything more than rather than just uh, repeat what we have said. I do think that. Um, the performances all around are excellent, even if uh, the focus is perhaps on uh, one performance over another. I do think that both, uh, not only Shia LaBeouf, but as you said, uh, Lucas Hedges, and even uh, Joan Upi is pretty fantastic, as well as uh, yeah. Otis or, yeah, John Shia LaBeouf. Absolutely. No, it's 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 a, it's a terrific trio of performances. And, um yeah, I, I, we're pretty much in all, all agreement. Go see it. It's um, it, it's still in limited release. Uh, I think it came out last weekend. Um, it did very well at the specialty box office, and it's slowly expanding. Um, I know it hits my area in Seattle on the 22nd. So, um, yeah, highly, highly recommend. If it's playing in a theater near you, um, go see it. Um, you know, it, it will eventually be on Amazon Prime, but uh, if you could see it in the theater, I, I would recommend it. It's a, I think it's a bold vision that um, that should be seen on a big screen for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, well, cool. Let's uh, let's move on to our grab bag section. This is the section where we talk uh, quick hit news stories, uh, anything we've been catching up on that uh, either 
you know, didn't didn't warrant a full episode or clashes with any of our other shows on the Playlist Podcast Network, whatever we want to talk about. Um, so, Raphael, I'll start with you. Uh, I'll open up the floor um, to anything you've been watching recently or anything you um, anything out there in the news that you find particularly interesting you want to bring up. What Whatever you want, the floor is yours. Uh, well, I've been mostly checking out Disney Plus because, of course, everyone's doing that. Uh, I have seen, uh, I watched both episodes of The Mandalorian, and I've been slightly surprised by the reactions to it uh, in terms of how mixed it has been. Because I do think it's, uh, it's pretty much as for better or worse, uh, just another Star Wars uh, property, but it does feel more akin to the animated shows, and I do think that's what is both turning some people off, but also uh, was uh, gathering the most attention because there's this um, both in in the short run times for the episodes, but also in how uh, quiet it has felt. There's a, a really big uh, Tartakovsky, Jenny Tartakovsky vibe. Um, and he, of course, made uh, Samurai Jack and he had the first uh, Clone Wars animated series. Yes. Oh, my God. Back. I'm so happy. I'm so happy you brought that up because that was exactly the same sort of vibe I got while watching uh, that show. It, it is so much in that vein. And yeah, I mean, it does feel like us. Uh, Star Wars age as uh, you could expect, but also it kind of feels like uh, really unlike anything we've seen, at least on the front. Uh, uh, I do, however, one thing I have uh, I did find really interesting is uh, how the first episode I have seen some uh, negative reactions to it, how big it is, or how much it depends on like uh, references and Easter eggs that it doesn't really explain. And I heard some people um, discuss whether or not it, uh, the show requires you to be a super uh, well-versed into the extended canon for Star Wars. But I do think that it just feels as uh, the original trilogy did, uh, which you go back and watch it, they do throw a lot of information and references at the audience that they don't really explain, like starting starting with the look mentioning the Clone Wars, and that's something we never, they never bring back until the, the prequels, and I do think that's something the TV show is doing really well, that's just throwing you in a, in a world uh, that is full of uh, history and, and details without uh, feeling the need to explain everything to you. Yeah, I always... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just saying, I can, I'll, I'll jump in here um, and, and just say that, uh, I mean, the most important thing about The Mandalorian is they mentioned Life Day. So the holiday special is now canon. Um, <laughs> I, that's that's the most important thing that happens in it. Yeah. Um, no, I, I agree. I do agree. I, I've watched both episodes as well. And, and um, I, I, I am mixed about it, but I'm not like, I'm not frustrated about like, them mentioning things that we don't know. Like, I, I actually think that's one of the biggest strengths of the show. Uh, I like, I like the more quieter moments. I like the, mm-hmm. the sort of Western sensibility to it. And I like that, um, there are, you know, minor tie ins and things to 
um, you know, to the original trilogy and to things that we know in the Star Wars universe. But I feel like this is the first one that doesn't, at least on the so far, we're only two episodes in, but uh, mm-hmm. it feels like the first of these sort of spinoffs that doesn't rely uh, too heavily on, uh, you know, things you know or, like, reference points as a crutch. Like, as much as I really do like Rogue One, I, I you know, I do think it gets bogged down a lot by, you know, specific references and then Solo even Ooh. more so. Um, but I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> no, it's fair. But, I, but I, I, uh, I, I appreciate that The Mandalorian does feel truly standalone so far. Um, it feels very slight. But I also think, you know, but I'm also interested enough to see where it's going also. Um, so, no, I, I, I like it. It's also a beautiful looking show um, as well. Like, um, I, th- I think, I forgot the guy's name, but the DP of Rogue One shot the pilot episode, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so there's there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of grit and a lot of grime. And uh, I think it's uh, so far uh, at least a fascinating uh, entry into the Star Wars canon. Yeah, it definitely was. It definitely is taking a page out of the Rogue One handbook of just getting down in to to like the street level of like uh you you know life in the galaxy that isn't you know that doesn't surround force users and stuff like that, which I always am for. Um, I yeah, I, I'm also a little mixed on it. I I don't think it's bad by any means, but I'm also kind of like, eh. Uh, I mean, like, I, I kind of watch each episode and I'm like, this is it, it definitely feels like they're doing like a live action um, Clone Wars uh, thing, which I, I I guess it's just a matter of adjusting my expectations of what this show is, because when they were pitching it, I didn't really think that this was going to be the, the route they they went down. But like it is um, especially episode two, it is very kind of like slice of life uh, and. And not, not that I don't like that. It's just it's just kind of like weird to see. Um, and I think sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it it, it kind of uh, the the show underwhelms a little bit at times. But like, I really do enjoy the quietness of it as well. It is, yeah. It's just a weird back and forth that I kind of am grappling with. It's like for everything it does right, there's like two things that i'm like kind of iffy on but um i think overall it is i mean it's it's keeping me interested it's a great uh first foray into television for or well live action television for star wars um or well it's not even really a first foray well it it's a great first foray for uh disney plus's you know flagship show i just think uh I guess I was expecting a little bit more, but uh, I I don't know. It's it's enjoyable. The uh, I think that it definitely has that that uh, Sergio Leone uh, Western sort of flair to it, which I know they were definitely going for, and I think it does come across not only in terms of how um, meditative it is, uh, but like some of the shot comp like the shot composition uh the like the lone gunslinger thing you know him i was talking to my friend about this it was like it, it, it's like from a from a from an aesthetic and and look perspective it is very sergio leone but then like the way the mandalorian interacts with the people around him is very like john wayne 
uh, Western. It's like him kind of just like finding himself in these situations and, and helping people out, I guess, or stuff. So I, I don't know. It was, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing to examine there. And then I think something else that really, um, you, you know, bolsters the show for, for me a little bit is, uh, is Ludwig Gornson's score, which I, I am absolutely loving. By the way, it, it is like this. It feels Star Wars, but it is so distinctly different from any other like sound palette we have we have heard in this universe before. It's like a mix between Ennio Morricone and Bill Conti, and I it perfectly fits uh, the world. And I think there are moments where it even enhances that Western feel that we're getting. Um, I'm curious to see what other worlds they go to, um, and, and how they kind of continue this, this thing. But, um, the first episode was okay. I liked the second one a little bit more. Uh, I'm hearing that the third episode is, is actually really great. So, um, I, I, I can't wait to see it. I am curious to know, uh, what they're going to do. Because I think like the other than The Mandalorian, the only uh, Star Wars TV show they have officially announced is the Obi-Wan series. And as you mentioned, uh, having different set of expectations uh, for what The Mandalorian was going to be, I do wonder how different, if at all, uh, the Obi-Wan show is going to be to this. Because uh, I do remember we have heard of a Star Wars live action show for over a decade, yeah, and I think uh, like for years they talk it was going to be more like of the the underworld of like one of the, the the bigger like planets and more of a city life kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But to see how be more of a western where the Obi Wan TV show cannot be anything other than a western uh, is definitely interesting and a little bit worrying that is maybe going to be pretty much the same thing. Yeah, that was was exactly what I was I was talking about. This with my friend as well. We were like, well, I guess every every uh, Star Wars or Disney Plus show is just going to be this reflective Western. (laughs) Like this is (laughs) it's it's interesting. But like you bring up a good point because I'm very well. They they do have the Cassian Andor series announced um, as well with with K2SO, and I'm I'm curious to see where where they go with that because I think there's a lot of potential. But um, for both of those shows, especially the Obi Wan one, I I. I do not want to see an Obi-Wan show where the runtime of an episode is like a half hour. Like, I'm sorry. Like I, I don't, I, and I think that's one of the other things that bugs me is I just want to see, I'll, I, I feel very unfulfilled every time I watch, maybe, maybe not very, but I feel unfulfilled the the past few times I've watched uh, the Mandalorian. It's like, I keep going, keep, keep, keep doing this sort of thing. I think maybe the first two episodes should have been one cohesive episode telling one story on one planet and then jump into the, the, the next episode of the next journey they go on. And in terms of Obi-Wan, I, I just feel like the, the character, like it's a character we know and love, but he's going on a journey that, we have wanted to see for so long that if the episodes were just like half an hour long, I would feel so disappointed. So, um, I, I don't, I don't know. That is a really interesting thing to, to sort of think about. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I don't have any other thoughts on it's all right uh, i'll and maybe i'll even cut the cut the silence out we'll see um 
But, uh, um, Raphael, what else have you been checking out recently? Uh, well, I've been, uh, watching, uh, Watchmen, uh, a lot, uh, cause I've been having to rewatch the episodes for a few articles I'm writing, but that is so far one of the, probably the biggest surprise of the year, at least TV wise, in terms of how big of a disaster it could have been and how it totally blew my expectations away. This is, of course, the HBO adaptation of the uh, graphic novel um, by the same name. And it just everything about it takes a completely subverts every expectation. And at the same time, it both builds on the graphic novel while offering something completely new. And even though it still has the sort of mystery box thing that Lindelof and, of course, J.J. Abrams love that I don't know if I particularly like that approach to a story. It does offer that uh, sort of classic uh, kind of murder mystery that the graphic novel had while also doing this big uh, sort of conspiracy that we have no idea how it's going to get resolved. But it's just a fascination to watch both in terms of story and just how freaking beautiful it looks like everything about it looks uh fantastic in terms of uh cinematography even the costume designs just uh, blown away by that show same here i i completely blown away by it and it's funny i was talking with our editor-in-chief rodrigo perez a little bit about it too because he he mentioned and and i'm similarly not a fan of that mystery box style of storytelling like usually at all and yet this one has completely captivated me um for one reason or another and i think maybe it's because well i mean part of it's just like i i do love the graphic novel and i think something like this is kind of what a lot of us hoped would have came from the the Zack snyder movie that ultimately didn't come Mm -hmm. to pass is like a true ad like or not like an adaptation with like a vision to it instead of just like a, a like verbatim transcription the way the the film was like I this you know for all intents and purposes this show is like a sequel to the book in a way I mean it references mm-hmm. a lot of characters that we know who have come to pass it's set in the present day as opposed to the mid 80s um but the 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 way I think maybe that's also part of the reason I don't mind the mystery box storytelling is uh, I find the mystery at the center compelling uh, I find yeah. the themes to be really like resonant and really timely um which has you know been reported at at length but also just the the world building and expanding on what we know from uh, Alan Moore's novel is is uh, like pretty remarkable. So yeah, I've I've uh, I think I've seen not as many episodes as you have because I've I've been watching it as a civilian week to week. Um, mm-hmm. But I um, yeah I I enjoy I I really 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 love the show so far and um, you know Ed, we're. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when we'll release this episode, but we are recording on Sunday morning. Uh, and so a new episode drops tonight and I am very excited to watch it. Yeah. I think I'm like a, an episode behind or two. Uh, just, but I, I mean, I'm also uh, eating it all up. It's totally not what I expected from this show, but I think it's all the better for it. Absolutely. Uh- one thing that I find interesting, oh sorry, about it is that uh, it being a sequel, and I do find it uh, fascinating how we now have so many 
sort of um, legacy uh, sequels of um, that continue stories from like properties that we knew from way back in the day, from like decades ago, but that all, all feel the need to include uh, both characters or references or plot points from the original story and make it central to the new story to make it to drive home the fact that yes we are doing a sequel whereas Watchmen uh, is taking a different approach where you can kind of watch it without knowing a lot about the graphic novel or the movie um, and this, the, the, the new story just compelling enough on its own but it does gain an extra layer if you know what came before it, and it does seem to be interested in sort of continuing those uh, threads, even uh, though it does feel like an entirely new thing. That you essentially yeah. answered the question I was going to ask uh, before I even asked it, which was like, do, <laughs> do, do you think that this, uh, like, does this show play well to people who are not familiar with a graphic novel. And um, I, I definitely agree. There's, de there's certain textures and certain things where, you know, people who know the novel very well are going to pick up on. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that was one of the things that was like, I'm watching this and I'm like, Oh, okay. So this is kind of like their spin on this, or this is like taking from this particular part. Yeah. Um, and uh, I like that they're taking from the graphic novel specifically, because I think it could have been really easy to like take from the film adaptation because it's in the same medium, but they are like continuing the story from the, from, from Alan Moore's original work. For sure. And, and it does it in a way that like, like I said, I don't think it's, I don't think it's distracting for the people who know, and I don't think it's, confusing for the people who don't which is yeah you know I, I usually kind of a one thing or the other so that's a, a pretty impressive thing that they pull off um but yeah yeah watch yeah, i actually oh, go uh, ahead. so i actually i wrote uh, a piece on exactly that question uh, that i think is out on uh, slash film about how there's uh, totally different experiences depending on how familiar you are with it because i saw i've been watching the show uh, with my younger uh, brother who has never seen the movie, never uh, read the graphic novel. And I think even Lindelof himself has said in some interviews that his goal was to confuse both type of audiences because even he, there was something that he didn't know about because he hasn't read the graphic novel. But at the same time, those things confuse me because I think in doing their own take on things. So I do feel like the show is answering the questions that you may have if you haven't read the graphic novel, but in a way that's subtle enough that you don't uh, think of it as, oh, okay, they're treating me as lesser than because I'm not familiar with this. They're just doing their thing and I don't really feel the, you don't feel the need to go back unless you want that sort of extra layer. The story stands on its own and it even starts to fill in the gaps that you may have. Well, that's a great, like, I, I love that approach. Um, I, I think it works to the show's benefit. And, and you know, if, if anyone, if anyone's really good at confusing people on either side, it's Damon Lindelof. So, <laughs> so mission, mission accomplished um, for sure. Um, anything else you want to want to recommend for people, Raphael? Um, I haven't seen that much recently, actually, because we're uh, getting to the time of year where, 
most movies are getting uh, really delayed release here in, in Norway. Uh, like we just got Terminator uh, this week. And it seems like that discourse uh, started and died already, like even months before the movie even came out. But I have been checking out a lot of the older um, Disney stuff. I just saw this really bizarre, uh, I think it was a made for TV movie. Uh, it's called Mr. Boogery. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just, they have so many uh, movies and even TV shows that just the, the they take that or like comic book approach. So like you only need to see the the cover and that's enough to 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 pick your interest. Even if what's on the cover doesn't have anything to do with what the movie is about. Uh, this is uh it's like forty five minutes, so it's super short, super easy to watch. It's uh, a family that moves into a house that is haunted and then. They just try to free the ghost because there's like uh, a guy who kidnapped the ghost of a, a child and they've been like trapped in the house for like 300 years. Is the family trying to 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 set the the, the little guy free? But it's, it's obviously made for TV. It doesn't have like the highest uh, production value, but it is completely hilarious. It has a ton of uh, actually like pretty well known. Um, Cast like um, gosh, I forgot her name, but she she played the original Buffy in the the, the, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie. Um, we have uh, John Austin who played uh, the dad in the original The Adams Family movie. He, uh, he appears in the in this, and he just the the villain, the, the ghost has one of the most terrifying looks for a made for kids movie that I have seen in a long time and it makes me sad that Disney is not doing more uh, family friendly horror as they once did. This is this was mainly like the 80s and it's just super funny and bizarre at the same time. Nice. I've been meaning to check that out because that seemed to be because I know a lot of, uh, you know, as you mentioned, a lot of like original movies, you know, not just from like kind of the era that we grew up in, but like a lot of those older like movie of the week uh, stuff are on Disney plus a lot of ones that people haven't heard of um, before Mr. Boogity included. Um, but that one people seem to be really rediscovering uh, along with, with yourself. And I've definitely been meaning to check it out. And uh, that's definitely an endorsement uh, endorsement enough. Um, it's a uh, Christy Swanson is the person who played um, yes. the original Buffy. Yes, right. Yeah. 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 Um, well, cool. Yeah. No. And yeah, you mentioned, uh, you know, Terminator just coming out over there in, in Norway. Like, yeah, that discourse pretty much died on impact, like, just like the movies. So we, yeah. don't have to, we don't have to spend too much time on that. Um, well, cool. That is, that is uh, the Mandalorian Watchmen and Mr. Boogity uh, Mandalorian and Mr. Boogity. You can find at Disney plus and Watchmen. You can find on HBO now slash go uh, whatever, however you get your HBO. Um, Griffin, what have you been catching up with uh, recently that you want to give a give a shout out to? Well, the Snyder Cut, obviously. Oh dear God! <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm you've sorry. seen it? <laughs> of course, it, it exists. There is a cut. I've seen it. Oh, oh. okay. I, yeah. I, my 
my ability to even like make jokes about that at this point is just like it's it's dry like it, the well is has gone completely dry i yeah. don't i don't have it in me <laughs> Listen, I'll say this, uh, for as much as, like, for much crap as they, or, well, deservedly get, and just, like, you know, the, you know, whole debacle surrounding it, it is actually something that I would genuinely be interested in seeing, just because of how different I think it would be. I think, I, I, I can't remember who said this, but I feel like it would be similar to, like, the Richard Donner cut of, of Superman, uh, if it were ever to be released, I mean, I, I don't think Warner Brothers is going to dump that much money into it, but I, I, you never know. I mean, with HBO Max, it could be something that actually happens. Um, but in terms of stuff that I've actually been watching, uh, I saw Frozen 2 yesterday, uh, which I was like surprisingly uh, excited for. Like, I, I didn't really like the first one at all all to to be honest um and, but like the trailers for this new one really hooked me um and and walking out i i think like i i thought it was good i thought it was fine um i think i liked it more than the first one but like i it, it still didn't quite hit the mark for me i i think my biggest issue with with these films is like the the potential and the build up like far uh, exceeds what the final product is, um, or or at least what, or at least the uh, it, it exceeds what the climax and resolution is uh, for the story. I, it's just it's another instance where I just felt really underwhelmed by the end result. But like the character motivations are excellent. Like Elsa, I I love Elsa so much. Like I could watch a full movie just like focused on her. Um, and 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 the, the the stuff that she goes through, and so like every time the film is focused on her and her journey, which I I think it, it does a lot of in in this this sequel. I it, it's definitely at its best. Um, there is they they do a great job of setting up this sense of intrigue uh, in terms of like Elsa hearing this voice, and they 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 delve into some of the more fantastical elements uh, of in in this world, which is is we didn't really get a whole lot of in that first film uh in this one they're kind of like answering the questions of, of like the the source of the the magic and um we get a lot of uh, nordic uh mythology i guess if you will which is always um interesting to me so i i really enjoyed that that aspect of it um the the music is incredible i i think i actually enjoyed the music more in the sequel too uh which i know is sacrilege to some people but like i i, I thought that across the board each song was way more like consistently stronger than like stuff from the the, the previous one um i also think um elsa's two numbers are just jaw dropping not not only from like a musical standpoint because i mean i idina menzel is a god is uh but uh like she uh the the way that they're animated they're, there's so much fluidity the colors are vibrant um it, it really like showcases the the importance of what's what's happening in this transformation that elsa is going through um I, I i love how they develop the sister dynamic between anna and elsa and how they both like have to learn independence uh in their own right um you, you know Kristoff gets a nice little 80s power ballad in the middle of it and uh 
I, I I've never been the biggest Olaf fan, so I can't really, I, you know, he's he's still the same. But he, they do an interesting thing with his character. Um, overall, well, oh, and then the uh, the, the visuals. I know it's it's kind of like in it, it's gotten to that point where like, oh yeah, the animation is photorealistic, but like. It, first of all, it's crazy that that is the new norm now for like animation between like How to Train Your Dragon and like Toy Story and now with like Frozen. It's like the fact that that is what animate what animated films like that that is like a precedent has been set for animated films is unbelievable. But the thing I love about this is that there's a lot of vista shots. They really um, the 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 uh, the landscapes are really authentic to the location. Um, and like, I think it does a great job of highlighting not only the culture, but like the, the region that they live in. And so that's, um, I, 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 I love that attention to detail, but, um, you know, o overall, I, I, I think when, when it kind of wraps up, they, they try and shoehorn too many things in at the end and uh it was a bit predictable granted it's a kids film so like whatever but um i i just was left with uh, like e everything basically played out the way it should have logically but i was just kind of like oh yeah that's i guess that is the logical way to end this but i'm still like i i was i was hoping for a little bit more epic spectacle because this one specifically feels like it should be this this grand epic thing but it never reaches those those highs but um you know if you like the first frozen i'm sure you'll enjoy this one uh i'm sure i'll be in the minority and liking this one more than the first but it, it just uh i think it just was a little more focused and it did more for me personally well, I, I'll have to check it out. Uh, I have not got a chance to see it yet. Um, I know it'll be out this week, um, yeah. which will probably be when I when I get a chance to see it. Uh, I do like the first one a, a, a fair amount, um, though I, I actually I don't know if I like it so much as I develop Stockholm syndrome with it. Um, as a, <laughs> I was a projectionist and theater manager when that movie was out, so um, I I I, uh, I heard Let It Go many many times a day uh, because that movie like if you all remember correctly uh it lagged out so much that movie would not die like it played yeah, in theaters yeah. for so long um so i yeah i think i just I, I maybe surrendered myself to it via stockholm syndrome but um but i am looking forward to the second one so i'm glad to hear uh as someone who does enjoy the first one that you like the second one even or that you like the second one even more because you know if that's the case for me then awesome because yeah I yeah the first yeah. one uh, for sure. What, what else have you been uh, checking out? Um, I mean, I, I've seen like a, a bunch of films that I'm sure you'll discuss on the, the the podcast at some point. Like Knives Out, I saw. Um, you know, Uncut Gems, I've I've seen and cannot not you know gush about enough. Uh, <laughs> Waves, I is I I will sing the praises of that film until the cows come home, and I think it's in like a limited release this weekend. So if you're in New York or L.A. Go see that fucking movie, please. It's just, it's, uh, it's astounding. It's absolutely incredible. And I, I don't know if you're going to do an episode on that either, but it's, um, was planning on it at some point. Um, yeah, I missed my screening this week, unfortunately, but you know, just life stuff happens, but I think we have two more and it's also award screener season. So I'll get my yeah. shot. So yeah, for fine. sure. I, it's just, it's 
it, it's just a very uh, deeply human and uh, intimate experience that uh, you like Trey Edward Schultz is um, probably one of my favorite uh, younger directors at the moment. I, I think that the consistency across his body of work and like how he's just perfected his craft as a filmmaker uh, kind of blows my mind um and in his ability to just tell like such deeply personal stories that um i think people that that resonate with people is is, is not something you normally see but uh, a- anyways but a uh, waves is it's my favorite film of the year so far so um it's just unbelievable and then i i think one that we both have seen actually i think all three of us have seen uh the irishman I haven't seen it actually. Oh, you haven't? Oh, okay, oh, interesting. I'm so mad about it. Oh man, yeah. I was go- I was gonna say. Speaking of favorite movies of the year, um, oh, there you go. Uh, yeah, it's it's. Um, I just saw it yesterday, um, and it, you know, it's it's hitting Netflix, I believe, on the twenty seventh, but it has its its slow, like you know, limited release, um, mm-hmm. which which is I I have a lot of opinions about um, as a as a former like theater exhibitor. Um, I think. I'm definitely more, you know, it's it, the lines between theater streaming are, are blurring. Times are changing. Like there does need to be an adaptation. I do usually side with the theatrical experience. That's just how I am. Same. But um, the theaters blew this one. Like the theater chains really, really blew this one. Not, uh, you know, no. you know, Netflix was giving them 30 days exclusive, which I know they want 60. They were even going to bend for 45, but it's like, the thing is, most movies, because of how many come out now and how many, like, how volatile the theatrical market is nowadays. Sorry to get off on a tangent, but, you know, I just have to do it. Um, You know, the most movies leave a traditional multiplex two, maybe three weeks after release um, just because there's so many things and they have to make room for the next thing. And yeah. so the fact is, like, they were guaranteed four weeks exclusive and also the older audience whether it's accessible at home or not if they want to see it in a theater they will come out and see it in a theater mm-hmm. um like i the um the aforementioned theater when i said i was managing uh when frozen played like we we played argo uh after it was on blu-ray and we were selling out shows like that oh. audience will come see the movie in a theater regardless yeah. so i i just like yeah i think the theater chains really really blew this one it's like okay you won't play the irishman but you'll play let me check my notes here. Arctic Dogs, because it will have because it will give you an exclusive window, but it will be like the worst grocer in two thousand screens and be out in a week and a half. Like just yeah. Anyway, anyway. I, all... I, well, I before we move on from that point, I think what's interesting about that is that they did agree to do the sixty days with Marriage Story, if I'm not mistaken, because Marriage Story released on November sixth, and then it is going on to Netflix December 6th. So, but that's like it's, still it's 30. 30 is it? Days. Oh, it's still, or sorry, 30. Oh yeah, you're right. Never mind. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it, never, the deal yeah. with the Irishman was like theaters traditionally asked for 60 day exclusivity, which in this day and age is kind of still like, I think an old guardy model, especially because literally on day 61, something is available on VOD. Like yeah, the, exactly. the, the turnaround nowadays is so insanely quick that it just, like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense but then the like chains like amc they were willing to bend for 45 days and netflix said no it's going on the service on november 27th 
so it's like you could take it or leave it and they decided to leave it and so it's only like you know independent theaters who are going to be running the irishman and it's kind of a shame because like this you know will likely it's it's not like set in stone but this will likely be the last collaboration between um de niro and scorsese and at least you know the way the movie plays out without spoiling anything that's just kind of how it feels and so um you know, I, I feel like even amongst Changing Tides, this movie would really be packing them in. Um, and the fact that it's only going to be playing on a handful of screens is is a, a goddamn shame, in my opinion. But, you know, that, yeah, no. all that mm-hmm. said, uh, yeah, I think the movie's great. Uh, you know, it's it's long, it's unwieldy, um, but I think it's, it's purposeful in that way. And a lot of people have been labeling it as Scorsese's old man movie which thematically it kind of is but like the movie still moves at a clip like Goodfellas and Casino like it's still very energetic and it's it's you know decade spanning and I think the you know we talked about Ford v Ferrari and subtle special effects I think the de-aging in this movie with the exception of one shot that goes back to De Niro's character in World War II where they try to make it look like Mean Streets De Niro it's like it's a little too much but, like, most of the movie is just de-aging him to, like, early 90s De Niro. And, like, it's incredible. Like, what they do with him and Pesci and, and um, Pacino is just, like, completely blew me away. Um, yeah, and, and like, everybody's great in this movie. De Niro's great in this movie. Pesci came out of retirement to be in this movie, and he's great. Um, you know... Pacino is fantastic in this movie and and like even the scenes where De Niro and Pacino share the screen and they're like their performances are elevated together and um you know Harvey Keitel is in it briefly and it's just like it's just interesting seeing you know you know like you, you know this whole thing kicked off really with Mean Streets with Keitel and Scorsese and De Niro and, and then mm-hmm. to, to see this you know sort of you know what feels like a bookend is is pretty pretty special um so yeah i i uh i i know I'm, I'm speaking a lot uh but i i just yeah i could not love this movie more and and i think that it's you know it, it's um i didn't think parasite would be unseated uh, for my favorite movie of the year um, and it's close and it's close but it's close but i i loved the irishman with with every fiber of my being no, it's 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 absolutely an an incredible just like achievement of a film. Um, I, correct me if I'm wrong. Is De, De Niro? He is he doing another? He, I, th- I thought he was doing another film with Scorsese and DiCaprio. He could be. Um, but, yeah. But I'm always I'm always uh, you know I'm always I'll believe those things when I see them sort of thing. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah. Um, for sure. You know, he could definitely be. But um, but you're right. It does feel like the last. I mean, if this was the last film Martin Scorsese ever made, it would also make sense, you know, not just like in terms of collaboration, but just in general. Um, I think the thing I loved about it was that it it's like it tackles his more and and maybe it maybe more recent isn't the right phrasing, but it, it seems like his as he's gotten over, gotten older, uh, his exploration of um, faith and like mortality has gotten more prominent, specifically in a film like Silence, which I found riveting. Um, it's like he's taking his his modern uh, exploration of those themes, but he's like wrapping it up in like the gangster film that he's basically become iconic for. Uh, and so I think it's just like the perfect blending of two of those 
uh, journeys. And it's like an incredibly self-reflective movie, super meditative, but like you're right, it moves by wickedly fast. It does not feel like a three and a half hour long movie, uh, which, you know, all, all credit goes to Thelma Shoemaker for that one, um, who is unbelievable i think she'll probably win best editing i i'd be astounded if she didn't <laughs> it's just because of yeah. this is like a whole lot of movie um but uh yeah the performance i mean my god al-, al pacino holy shit i don't think i've seen al pacino this good like in years like he's just and i guess that really goes for all of them but like he just leaps off the screen with so much energy and uh like just him eating ice cream is like endlessly enjoyable. It's, <laughs> it's unbelievable. And then like Joe Pesci playing against type is, uh, is really, really, I, I, I think, um, it's probably one of his best performances too, just because it's so different. And he's, you know, he, he, he comes across as, as like this really, quiet and subtle guy where it's like he he feels more friendly than his other characters but you could do something to instantly set him off and like you kill you so i like i i don't know but but then like uh and then i guess to kind of like bring it all home with de niro it's just such a in such an internal performance um and it's definitely not as flashy as, as the other two, but it it's the heart of the movie. And it, it you, when you take a step back, you realize how effective it is. Um, and especially in the, the the back half of this movie, which I, I felt like the the last like forty five minutes or so of this film, I found incredibly moving. Uh, it was just all it's it was one of those things where it's like he he's he's talking about stuff that is that all of us feel but like i it, it, like but he like vocalized it in in such like a natural way and so like i i don't know i could gush about this film all day long but uh <laughs> yeah i i completely agree with everything you said absolutely yeah no and and uh yeah could not recommend it enough um is it is it going to be playing near a theater uh, a theater near you Raphael, or do you have to wait for netflix it will but he's he's gonna uh, play for like like once, uh, like three days before it drops on Netflix, so I, I will definitely see it in the theater. But I do have to wait. Gotcha. Yeah, and and for like for for me in Seattle, it just it just came out this weekend, and uh, and Cinerama only has like a five day exclusive for it because I, then they have to change over to Frozen Two, I think. Um, oh my god. Yeah. Ooh. So, um, but you know, I you know what? Hey, it's the best screen in the city, and I'm just happy that they even got it, even if it was a short amount of time. So. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll take, I'll take the victories where, where we can. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I don't have any more what I've been watching because it was the Mandalorian Watchmen and the Irishman. So, uh, Perfect. yeah. So I think uh, in the interest <laughs> of time, we can wrap this episode up. Um, thank you guys so much for coming on, uh, you know, and, and, and chatting with me. I feel like we had a really good discussion. Um, you know, can't thank you enough. Uh, Raphael, in the meantime, where can we find more of your work online? Uh, you can find me at Slash Film. I've been writing a, a lot about Watchmen this week. Uh, I have an in-depth uh, article about a certain scene in last week's episode. Uh, that is probably one of the weirdest things that show has done yet. Uh, and it's a pretty weird show overall. Um, so, yeah, you can check it out. And also just uh, post everything I, I write on uh, Twitter at Rafael Montemayor. 
Awesome. And you, I definitely recommend checking that out. I'm going to check out that uh, Watchmen piece. I haven't got a chance to read it yet, but I definitely want to check it out because um, I, I know last week's episode, I feel I mean, it was good. I think people a lot of people were like, oh, it's like a bottle episode or a filler episode. But, um, you know, every piece is important. So I, I look forward to uh, reading that. And um, Griffin, in the meantime, where can people find you? Yeah, well, you can uh, check out my podcast, The Fourth Wall, on this podcast feed. We actually have a conversation with uh, Willem Dafoe up, which was was fantastic. Um, and then there should be one uh, with Chadwick Boseman coming soon for uh, 21 Bridges. So you definitely want to keep an eye out for those. Uh, and uh, if you, if you want to see my lovely face talk about movies on camera, you can uh, check out my YouTube channel, Film Speak. Uh, and uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter and for for whatever reason, uh, you can you can uh, follow me at Griff Schiller. Awesome. And yeah, be sure to check out for those interviews. They'll be popping on our, our feed, um, you know, this week. We don't know exactly when, but it will it will be this week. Um, so, you know, maybe you'll hear it before you hear this episode. Maybe you won't, but be on the lookout for that for sure. Mm. Uh, in the meantime, um, you can find me on Twitter at Ryali90. That's R-Y-O-L-L-I-E 90. Uh, if you so choose or you so dare, uh, I'll just put that warning out there. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just saying, like, I'm surprised that anybody follows me with what I tweet out there. But um, <laughs> uh, but uh, last last thing uh, is a reminder to people, uh, this show is part of the Playlist Podcast Network. So if you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe to us via your podcatcher of choice, be it iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Anchor FM, Spotify. You'll get this show as well as Griffin's show, The Fourth Wall, uh, Indie Beat, Be Real, and the various shows, other shows and interviews that pop up on our feed from time to time. Um, also, part of the reason we didn't do a full Irishman episode is that our friends over at Be Real will be dedicating an episode to that in the coming weeks. So be sure to look out for that on the feed as well. Uh, Raphael and Griffin, thank you again so much for taking the time and coming on the show. And for our listeners, we'll catch you on the next episode. I wish I was like six foot nine so I could get with Leoshi cause she don't know me but yo she's really fine. You know I see her all the time everywhere I go and even in my dreams I can scheme a way to make her mine. Cause I know she's living fat, her boyfriend's tall and